folks. You are listening to Always Be Watching. It's our weekly discussion about, you know what the show is about at the moment. It's what we've been watching. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm joined here, as always, by... My name's Chris Yates. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Dan. And it's a very special occasion because we are joined in the studio by the man behind the take, the man behind One Heat Minute, and the man behind a Josie and the Pussycats podcast that I've forgotten the name of. It's Blake Howard. It's Josie and the Podcats. Dan, Chris, it's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you are a man of many podcasts. Yes. What would make you deem your time worthy? What what would make this podcast worthy of your time to... So I was trying to use the word deem, and I've never done (laughs) it before. And you do. You do a good job. Uh, Dan... We go way back in kind of podcasting terms, you know. Uh, you were doing Batman Land, which anyone who knows, I'm an absolutely obsessed Batman fan, and I was so happy that you asked me on the show. Multiple-time guest on that show. You also were a multi-time guest on One Heat Minute, and so it just felt like in the beautiful ecosystems of podcasts, <laughs> there's never enough uh, that I can do to pay back all the amazing people that joined me um, on that One Heat Minute journey, and you were there multiple times. You went on some wonderful digressions, some of my favorites, where you turn the podcast into one lethal weapon minute for at least 35 <laughs> minutes of the show. Which and I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm keen to be uh, here chatting with you guys about what I'm watching. Yeah, it was really just a polite way so I can in- initially sort of create the idea of maybe I should be on the Take podcast. At uh, some point. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that at all. <laughs> Chris Yates, yes, this podcast, yes, we talk about the TV shows we've been watching. This is true. You may be aware of it. You've been on the previous 29 episodes. Are we really up to 29? That's I'm good. not sure if it's 29. It's it's hovering 28, 29. We're about there. Sounds about right. Yeah, uh, it's been an ordeal. Yeah, but the premise of this podcast is basically when you're hanging out with some friends and you want to talk about some TV you've been watching. So, for example, maybe you're working in the trucking industry. Mm-hmm. You're there late at night. It's two in the morning. You're on the CB radios and you have found a fellow traveler on the road. It's mm-hmm. like, what have you been watching? 10-4 rubber ducky. Exactly. Yeah. And you trade some yeah, recommendations back and forth. Have you ever seen the film Convoy? I have not. I saw it when I was about 10 years old. I think it was inappropriate viewing for someone of that age. Yeah. But uh, it's pretty good. Have you ever seen the movie Larger Than Life with Bill Murray? <laughs> yes, I have. Only recently. <laughs> what a dis- what a terrible waste of everyone's time that was. Blake, you're across this film? Yeah, I think I maybe saw it at an inappropriate age as well. <laughs> I think every Bill Murray film I was allowed to rent from my video store. And it's just like, oh. This- I actually think Bill Murray's uh, Larger Than Life is the film that's appropriate for kids to watch. So this is the film Bill Murray made right at the end of his career of making good movies in the 80s going into the early 90s. Yeah. And the premise of this was that he was left an elephant or something. He had an elephant. Yeah, he gets so an he elephant has- in a in a deceased estate. Yes. That's, yeah, and so he has to travel across the country with an elephant. Yeah. Anyway, it was based off the back of that movie that he thought, you know what, I'm done. And so he, <laughs> he then started taking just independent film roles after that point. Yes, it was a good choice, obviously. <laughs> turned, out choice. Well, turned out well for Bill. <laughs> Um, are we going to start by asking our guest what um, they have watched? Yeah, so we'll do one show each this week, I think. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, Blake Howard, what have you been watching? Not a lot of folks know this. Uh, I know Dan knows this, but I, when my daughter was born, I became like a mean cook. Like, ah. uh, because I felt completely useless in the house where my wife was breastfeeding my daughter and I just became cl- a cleaner of the house and a cook and so sorry when you say mean cook do you mean that you became a very good cook or you're more like a Gordon Ramsay no very good <laughs> I think good I, I meant mean in the context of good no I became a good cook because I became obsessed with feeding my my, my then uh, just recovering um, wife and uh, making sure that she was well fed so that she could feed the baby and so I love a cooking show but now 
there are only certain cooking shows that I really love, and I adore the movie Chef. Ah, John the, Favreau chef. Uh, yes. And so the second series of the chef show with Roy Choi and John Favreau sort of double team master and apprentice Yoda and Luke Skywalker being together, um, is what I've been watching. And I've watched it probably three times through, uh, and including being inspired to cook Cubanos again, uh, uh famously from the movie. Um, and I just, I just, adore Just to it. clarify for people that don't know the movie versus the show. The movie Chef is John Favreau appearing as a guy who's a professional chef that takes up like a food truck and yeah, you know, he kind of is slinging sandwiches. He's he's a guy. He's basically a prodigious young chef who comes into the Los Angeles uh, scene and sort of blows everyone away. Blows the biggest critics That's right, away. Yeah, and he gets a little bit older. He gets comfortable. He's adopted into an organization, and Dustin Hoffman is his boss, and he just gets lazy. He doesn't have any of the same fire, the same flavor that he had when he was um, older. He gets a terrible review. He responds to a bad critic, uh, and it goes viral, and it basically ruins his career as he knows it. And he and he turns to the road. He turns to chef, uh, being a chef on the road in a in a food truck. And at the time, that's when things were booming and blooming in in, in the world of uh, the culinary world of uh, the roads in in Los <laughs> Angeles. Um, and so he takes this truck and he kind of rediscovers his love of food um, on the road. And it's kind of this great you know parallel allegory for John Favreau's entire career of like getting stuck in a system, being this dynamic, exciting thing, getting well, bad reviews, tussling Started out big with swingers, and then it was just kind of like a very rapid downhill slide after that. Yeah, like he had a couple of bad, you know, I'll still defend Cowboys and Aliens um, to, to the death, <laughs> but he had a couple of bad movies. Yeah, and, go ahead and do that. And uh, he had a couple of bad movies, and, and so he went downhill, and then this movie was like his, his own food truck. He, I loved the movie. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. And I sort of watched it in a punt, and I kind of didn't know that much about Favreau at the point, other than swingers and that... Um, I, I don't know. He just and I didn't realize that he had dropped off and all that kind of stuff. So yes. I was like, "Oh, what's this clown doing? Pretending to be a chef?" But I loved. I thought it's, it was really good. It's a it was funny movie. too. Like it had really good humor and yeah, very funny, very but, good. But his TV show is a, not a scripted film show by any means. It's a like completely like show. a reality cooking yeah, show. Right, the, the, yeah. His character in the film is based uh, like largely is based off of Roy Choi, who's this incredibly famous Los Angeles food truck chef and is now like internationally renowned chef. And so because he was like an onset consultant, making sure that he got everything right, which is why the movie really resonated. They now just are just like this great pair who have an excuse to catch up with famous celebrities, other great restaurateurs, food chefs, you know, sometimes critics, and they get together and they just cook amazing food together. And so you get John, who's like, man, for like an amateur chef, like he's great, like a really great cook, but Roy Choi is the master. It's like the unfiltered master behind all those influences, behind the myth of like John Favreau's movie, and you get to the guy, and it's just absolutely brilliant. I started watching this, um, the TV show the other day. My mother is in town and she's been a vegan for a good Sorry. 15 years or so. Shout out to Mrs. Yates. Shout out to Mrs. Yates, to <laughs> Ali. And um, first shot of it was just like seared meat and blood and yes. all this kind of stuff. And as a vegan, I don't think she really liked it. So I kind of, it, it was like when I was a kid and there used to be like boobs would come on in the movie that we were watching with my mum and I would run from the room in shame or try and turn it off or something. I found myself leaping for the remote control to like, oh God, you don't have to see this beautiful meat getting cooked. Sorry, mum. So anyway, yeah, I haven't seen it, but I, but I was really keen to watch it and you should. It, it looked delicious. People may have come across this show recently. It's really the first season of it. It got some headlines because one of the things that I really like about the chef show from the couple of episodes I've seen is that because they're cooking and it's a very relaxed, because it's just filmed in a kitchen. 
Yeah, and mul- multiple different kinds of kitchens. Yeah. They've got a base kitchen, which is John and Roy's sort of home base where they sort of bring people in, but they're very frequently visiting just some of the best restaurants around the States. They like just go and immerse themselves in an area. It might be where John's working. It might be somewhere they're visiting. Um, and so they sort of, sort of base themselves around and bring people to them and also go out. So, it's yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, but it's very lo-fi production in that. Very like lo-fi. one to two cameras at most. There's yeah. like minimal lighting. They just kind of work with what they've got. Absolutely. So, the guests are really relaxed. And in the, I think maybe the very first episode, first episode. Got Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> of whom's just like talking about like the Marvel movies, and she like as we discovered watching her on the show, and what generated quite a few headlines around the place is that she doesn't know what Marvel movie she's been in. She just knows that <laughs> she's she gone and filmed like a few. <laughs> she forgot she was in Spider Man. Yeah, right. is, is, is I don't think one. she knew she was in Spider Man. Yeah, right, she, yeah. yeah. So she was actually in it. She'd completely forgotten that That's she was hilarious. in it, and John had to correct her because <laughs> the famous meeting of Roy Choi and John Favreau was actually facilitated by Gwyneth Paltrow because Gwyneth Paltrow had been a huge fan of his food truck and brought it onto the set. I believe it might have been like a sort of a celebratory moment on the Iron Man set whether it was like one of the last days of shooting or something she brought them on that's how they met and then that's how there was a milestone thing in Marvel going on forward was to like always have Roy Choi's food truck to come and cater the end of end of shoot parties but that, that's that's the that's the big ticket item when you talk to anyone who's a bit of a movie geek or a bit of a Marvel geek they're like oh the chef show that's where Grand Culture is she forgot she was in Spider-Man so good what is this TV show for? We don't Nobody know. Knows. You don't know. We don't really know. It's like we, I started just filming. We were actually doing it when we were filming Spider-Man. That was the first time. We just brought a film crew with us down to Atlanta, and we cooked at the Optimist. Spider-Man? We well, yeah, we were in Spider-Man together. Remember we were on Spider-Man? We yeah. weren't in Spider-Man. Yes we, yes, we were. Homecoming. You were in Spider-Man. No. Yeah. I was in Avengers. No, you Avengers. were in Spider-Man also. It's what? become... Remember Spider-Man at the end, and, and the... And, and, Tom Holland's there, and you're going to walk out and do a press conference. I give you the ring. Yes, that was Spider-Man. That was (laughs) Spider-Man. Oh my god. I think John Favreau may be a bit of a genius when it comes to creating formats and playing mm. around just like in interesting mm. spaces. Comes from the indie film scene, obviously, and when he's come to Hollywood, he's really brought an interesting aesthetic to what he does. So yes. I'm not going to speak to Cowboys versus Aliens because, you know, that is what it is. Uh, but like even what he's done with the Marvel films, in that they're obviously big Hollywood tent poles, but there's a bit of a different flavor to it, and he's kind of brought a auteur sort of perspective to what he does, and I guess plays around the form a little bit more than you'd expect. Yeah. Not to a wild degree. He he likes improvisational style, and I think that you can you can tell that he likes to create a he likes to create like a space for people to operate, and then and then ha- and allow for improvisation. So like even as something as crazy as like the Lion King, you know his favorite moments of the movie, and this is self confessed in a lot of his interviews, is like getting Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner to improvise as Timon and Pumbaa in that and then animate their improvisation together and so you get like Iron Man which is meant to sort of be it it does absolutely set the template of Marvel which is we're going to have bombast we're going to have these superhero special effects we're going to have these characters that you love we're going to adhere to the story arcs that you know and are familiar with but absolutely we're going to have levity like that like that Tony Stark levity and and Favreau that's the relationship of you know Downey and and Favreau together going this is the template for how we're going to do these movies and that basically carries through has such a profound effect of how it carries through to everything that's happening in the rest of the series yeah I I think it's it's probably safe to say that he's influenced you know his actual style of doing that has then gone back and influenced how they've made the rest of them right absolutely one of the things that I think this speaks to with in regards to this program the chef show 
it maybe takes me back to his first TV format that I saw that he created, was this thing called Dinner for Five, where he would get five random celebrities from all over the place. So I remember there was one episode that had like Peter Falk, I think maybe Kevin Smith, and like just random celebrities from like around like Hollywood. And he'd just have them eating dinner, and they'd just have a chat. And so they'd probably record for like four or five hours as they have like a long thing. Yes. But he'd get these just really intimate, intimate, candid moments where they're just talking about their career, their life, their you know thoughts on the world. And it's just interesting to see him now doing The Chef Show, which is a very similar food-based program, but he's just getting his guests to come on and speak fairly open and candidly because you film for long enough in a relaxed situation and you get some really good stuff from them. Yeah, I think it's the old... There is literally an old adage about, like, you know, Francis Ford Coppola used to do it and big famous directors have done it. It's like, if you want to take the artifice out of someone's performance, make them eat. And so one of the great yeah, things yeah, is, yeah. You, know, he, you know, Coppola was always, you know, he would be cooking all the Italian food that people would be eating around the tables in his movies. And so you'd have those moments where people are eating, they're stuffing their face, they're doing their thing, and it just takes it all away. So I think that's one thing I love about this show. It doesn't, there, there, no, there's no bells and whistles. There's tiny animations. If you actually want the recipes, they're not going through them as precisely as you might need them to reproduce them. Yep. You've got to go to the Chef Show website and check that out, which again, I'd strongly recommend that you do. It's, but you're not really watching for the recipes or no. the food cooking per se either. You're, you're watching for the technique. You're watching for craft. You're watching for people really deeply caring and also watching like some of my favorite, ep- like in fact, one of my favorite episodes is a, it's a remembering Jonathan Gold episode and they, um, it's Roy Choi and it's, a, it's another famous LA food critic who cooks a version of a famous pie. Um, and it's this, uh, a Thai lady and I can't remember her name for the life of me, but like she comes in and just improvs some of the most amazing pad thai and green curry you've ever seen in your life. And they're like asking her why she does things in certain orders and she chops things in certain different ways and she just like throws the book out. But it's like perfect home cooking, authenticity. It just feels like home. Like this this is a show that like I turn on and I feel like I need to start cooking. Like I need to, I'm like, I'm like all right, I'm going to, okay, that's definitely going to be a Cubano pork that's going to be marinating and in, in, in its delicious, you know, having a nice swim in man, my I fridge. haven't had dinner yet, man. <laughs> you know, Seriously. I, I, I think about it a lot and like I watch that show and I love it and I, I go, yeah, that's a, a pad thai. That's, a, that's something I need to get in my arsenal, you know. I, and so this is like, this is one little thing that I like to do for my fam when I, when I get a chance and particularly guests of One Heat Minute. Um, that's how I was able to ply, uh, get lots of guests to come to my place and do big recordings recording sessions was food and booze and so uh and uh, you know like to feed the family so to speak i think i recorded mine at about 11 in the morning so i got neither food nor booze <laughs> hey, but i still turned up <laughs> hey you did get one of the times you didn't get food the next time you got pulled pork sliders i believe with slaw and lollies because you were stuffing your face with lollies i remember I, that i did have lollies that sounds like you <laughs> i do remember lollies yeah. i don't think i stuck around for the pulled pork slides <laughs> well there you go yeah. you wouldn't have jelly babies that because you confessed earlier that you hate jelly babies i didn't say that i hate jelly babies mm. i just said, said that alan's party them. mixes would be so much better and i refuse to buy them because they don't do this because <laughs> it's too much just tubes mm. and it's not like you know what i really want which the teeth the bananas the strawberries and cream yeah okay well hopefully one day they'll be able to um custom make a packet just for you one day a man can dream um i just have to i'm assuming we're going to roll up this little bit about the chef but um i have been very good to so far not mention the mandalorian Mm. um as a we're talking about favreau so much of course so that's it's worthy of a mention right i can get away with mentioning that again and how excited i am about that yeah you should probably make it contextual for people of whom aren't massive dorks like yourself (laughs) um so i'm pretty sure that this guy favreau is making this other show for the Disney uh, streaming service called The Mandalorian, which is a Star Wars thing, which is very exciting. Do you think there will be cooking in The Mandalorian? 
No, I but I but I tell you what, I, I would love to have just been a grip on that set because oh you know God. that at the end the food would the, have been the end insane. of the series is like Roy Choi is going to put on a banquet <laughs> for you. Werner Herzog's going to be sitting there. Just, uh, you're, you're you're dead right. Actually, hopefully, hopefully, there's a whole movie about that. That would be fantastic. Now, I'm not like completely across the Star Wars world I've created for Disneyland in Los Angeles, mm. but there is a food component to the new part of the theme park that they've built where you can have the blue milk that yes, oh, delicious. Drunk. I think there's like a number of beverages. Do you have to extract offer. it yourself? Well, I hope so. But I, I know there's a number of beverages and whatnot uh, that, that are based that on face Star that Wars. Mark, Mark Hamill pulls when he drinks that like uh, Last Jedi milk is just outstanding. <laughs> I'm concerned about the hand gesture you're making there. <laughs> as you were. I was milking in Dan's general direction. Um, <laughs> But, no, uh, but I guess I brought it up to really say, you know, like I'm very still wrestling with this excitement for the Mandalorian that I'm that I don't have at all for the Last Jedi, sorry, and and a lot well, of that is to do with how interesting Favreau's stuff has been lately, and just how I just I just think he's probably got he's probably the right person to actually pull something off. Well, I was just thinking all this food in the theme park, like I wonder if that'll be reflected in this show. Mm, that would be very interesting. But the one thing about Favreau, and this is what you could say about a lot of his projects, is he really. Like, especially on the chef show, you see it like he admires craft. And I think that's the cool thing about the Mandalorian for me. And, and it, it is about the roster of people that you see on the chef show, the eclectic roster of people. Mm. It's like he just gets great mixes of people. Like you look at like you've got Carl Weathers and you know, just like people like that that pop up in a show. Like you go, I'm going to watch this show. Yeah, like, yeah, Werner Herzog's yeah. in there. I'd like if Werner Herzog is in your show acting as some kind of menacing person, <laughs> it immediately adds two and a half stars. Like Jack Reacher is an amazing movie and largely it is like Chris McQuarrie going, oh my God, wouldn't it be amazing if Werner Herzog could read my dialogue? <laughs> like, you know, so Favreau I think is a great, you know, I, the chef show is like, you know, people, I hate that stupid thing of like guilty pleasure, but I would just say we, yeah. he, he, he makes great, he makes great stuff, but that one is my, that is my comfort food favor. Like yeah. I can put it on any time of the day. If I'm indecisive, it's that stupid thing that you do when you've got 4 million things to watch and you're like, oh, there's a chef show. Bang. Yeah. Just hit play. It's good. And it doesn't offend my small children, which is good. <laughs> yes. That's also, <laughs> also good. So the Chef Show seasons one and two on Netflix? On Netflix. Highly recommend. And also the Chef Show website is great. Like if you are a bit of an amateur cook and you fancy yourself to have a crack and an experiment, um, definitely recommend getting on their website because it actually itemizes all of the kind of things that you would need mm. to produce it. On the show itself, if you're like a cooking person show and you like, like to have notes and sort of talk about technique and get ready to go and translate that to the kitchen, you can't do that without the website. So I would recommend all those things. And I presume that's at like the chefshow.com or chefshow.com. Chefshow.jerrycities.com. No? <laughs> Chefshow.aol. Okay. Uh, well, just look it up on Ask Jeeves and you'll be able to find it. That's right. Chris Yates. Yes. You've been watching some TV as well. Now, I don't know if Mr. Herzog has appeared in your program here, <laughs> but what have you been watching? Uh, I'm going to go with the program that I have been watching called Wu Tang and American Saga. So what happened last night? Dennis got his crib shot up. Wait, what? Yo, was everybody good? Is is so everyone was lucky? Oh, right, good, good. Y'all figure anything out? That track you were just playing was rhyming on it. It was shot. And when did y'all record that? A 
while ago. Why? Okay, Wu Tang, hit us up. What's this about? Like, we know what it's about, so, obviously. Yes. I have not seen this, and I, I can't wait to hear you talk about it. Okay, so um, this is something I've been... Uh, I'm a big Wu-Tang Clan fan. Uh, I'm not a completist by any means, and I certainly, you know, the um, Wu-Tang themselves. And the RZA's work has been patchy, I would, I would argue. There's been a lot of great um, things, but I don't really... Uh, you know, his films haven't been amazing. Um, he's tried his hand. Uh, he made a Kung Fu movie with Russell Crowe. And with the Iron Fist. Was not was not great. It was interesting. He's obviously got a lot. You know, he's obviously a very big fan of cinema. He's done a lot of stuff for Quentin Tarantino. This is, I think, uh, the first time that he's produced and written something. Um, I don't know who his collaborator is on it. I can imagine it's somebody who's probably a bit more seasoned in the industry. And this is a fictionalized or a dramatized version of the history of the Wu Tang Clan as they came up from the slums of Shaolin, aka Staten Island, New York. Now, I didn't realize he was actually involved in the making of this. Yes. So he's the producer and the and he, he gets a written by credit. I don't know what that actually means, um, at least on the first two that I've seen. And unsurprisingly, he comes off pretty good. He looks like a pretty good guy in this show. Like, uh, yeah, it's, he seems to be running everything. Now, I've avoided watching it because I just kind of thought it'd fall into standard sort of biopic sort of territory. Is that what we're dealing with here or is there something a bit more... Like, no, no, that's absolutely what we're dealing with here. And... Um, I'm a tragic for biopics, so I really love them. And there yeah. hasn't been a lot of great rap ones. The NWA one was kind of average. It was okay, but it obviously had great some pretty big emissions. Great performances straight out of Compton. Great performances. Great performances, yes. Some, um, some of the some of the writing let it down. Yes, it wasn't it wasn't amazing as a film. Um, the Biggie Smalls one was pretty funny too. Um, it's still and suffered from kind of the same thing. But again, it had an amazing lead, and it was kind of you know wasn't believable as such. But it kind of gave you a little bit of the a biggie sense of one that. was better than the All Eyes on Me two pack one. That I haven't was, seen the All Eyes on Me one, but that uh, was that's really on my list. Unwatchable. Um, so like this has got all the hallmarks of you know the modern um, the modern kind of uh, Netflix show with the even though it's not on Netflix, is it? It's um, you would know what it's on. Well, I know it's in the US on Hulu. Hulu, yeah. Um, so it's this big kind of production. It's very dramatic. It's trying to like kind of aping. The, um, the Wire, I guess, a bit. It's kind of... The, the hard thing is, like, I've read a lot about the Wu-Tang Clan over the years. I'm kind of across the history. I'm not sure how believable some of this stuff is. I'm not sure how much they're stretching into fiction. There's a lot of things that I feel like if this was the real story, I probably would have heard about it like now, by now. So it's interesting. It seems a little bit uh, desperate to kind of really tr- to uh, marry itself with the gang culture and the stuff that was going on, which obviously they were a part of to some degree. Ghostface Killer was slinging rocks and stuff, but I don't know whether the sort of glorification of that is necessary to tell the tale of the Wu-Tang Clan. Now, on this podcast, you come in and talk about music docos a fair bit. Yeah. And I always find myself asking the same question, which is, is this really just for fans or is this something that's fairly accessible? And the reason why I think I ask this question yeah. is when you're talking about music, music falls into very specific genres and there's always uh, specific... It's like niche interest. Sure, yeah, So absolutely. if you're not in, if you haven't locked into that artist, you're not necessarily going to be aware of that artist or necessarily have an interest in that artist. No. And I think music is very sort of particular to that. So I don't like asking the question necessarily all the time, but it's the question I'm going to level here, which is that this may be fictionalized, but is it a very broad audience that can come? I think to it's this? the kind of thing like if you like a bit of you know if you're into that sort of urban street. Um, mm crime kind of stuff, then there's definitely enough in it for you without having to be a massive fan of the music. At yeah. least the first two episodes. The aforementioned straight out of Compton, I think, was fairly accessible and broad for most yeah. people to watch. Yeah, so no. I think, like, 
yeah, I think um, that this would have something in it. Obviously, I guess as they get off the street, it's probably going to get less about that and it's going to be a lot more about the making of the records and them dealing with fame and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but if you've already bought into the story, like you can go for that ride. Yeah, I reckon. Like it's it's well worth it. And I think um, I think there's kind of like it's it's definitely falls more into the biopic side. So if you're a fan of biopics, you'll definitely find enough stuff in it to watch. I think, and you won't be probably as you know, it's it's like there's such a massive level of cringe with all of that stuff. So if, if you're somebody that enjoys that cringe, then yes, you'll probably get something out of it. Nah. How many episodes do you know? Uh, I think 12. Oh, no, I don't know. I won't even pretend <laughs> I know. But I've watched, uh, uh, There's I think five have gone to air so far, uh, or five or six, and I've watched two, yeah. And I'll, I mean, you know, I'll keep watching because I'm a tragic. And it'll, it will be, uh, the, the way they've handled the kind of, um, the way that the music business side of it runs alongside the street um, drug dealing and all that kind of stuff is very interesting and you know you kind of get a different sense of that too some of this other stuff where it's not like just being bankrolled by gangsters or it's not just you know it, it does seem quite intertwined and a, and a big part of the kind of culture and interestingly like Wu-Tang I don't think of necessarily Ghostface Killer definitely has a lot but they haven't always um, capitalised on that like it hasn't always been you know they, there's a lot more mythology around Wu-Tang Clan especially with the Shaolin with the Kung Fu movies all that kind of stuff they got a lot of other stuff they talk about other than just dealing drugs so to see so much of it in these first two episodes to be obsessed with that kind of stuff is interesting okay I'm, um, I'm curious about checking this out I think I mean I think you'd enjoy it it's not like it's certainly watchable yes yeah. uh, and I think um, you know, it would give you a bit of an education about Wu-Tang Clan, Dan, which would give you heaps more credit in the streets. I mean, could I really deal with more credit in the streets? Like, already it's overflowing. <laughs> I, saw a, I saw a photo the other day of Debbie <laughs> Harry wearing a Wu-Tang Clan shirt. How cool is that? Man, Debbie Harry was a cool lady. Uh, so that's that thing. Uh, Dan doesn't even know how you watch it, except on Hulu, I guess. On if Hulu you, if you US, have that. yeah. So you've got to go but, to the US. But it's not a Hulu, Hulu original. It's made for someone else. I'm okay. not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, well worth checking down. I'm sure it will come out here in some way at some time. Yeah. Well, you can find it some way like Chris has. <sighs> some some magic way. Dan. It's the spirit of the... It's the spirit <laughs> surfing, of the tang. Surfing. <laughs> spirit the of the tang. Yeah, I don't think they mind. I think I've given the Wu-Tang Clan enough money over my lifetime uh, to get away with it. Um... Dan, what have you been watching? Look, this is a series where I've been excited about this all year, and it finally came. And often when you hear about a show in advance and you've been waiting for it, it's never that good. Mm. It always disappoints. I'm happy to say, though, that this show totally lived up to expectation. It's a show called Stumptown. So let me get this straight. Sulan ruins your life, and now you're going to bring home her spoiled brat granddaughter. It's not Nina's fault she grew up with bad role models. I'll just be careful turning over old stones. Don't you have an opening to worry about? I do. Hey, you're going to help me stain some chairs later, right? Dad gets mad when I stain stuff. <laughs> I could use your help, for real, behind the bar tonight. All the beer you can drink. Well, I think we both know I'm not exactly steady job material. I probably just mess up. And then I'd have to fire you in front of your brother. Things would get awkward. Until the resentment kicked in. But I will take you up on all the free beer I can drink part. I'm really good at that. Look at us. We just <laughs> saved a perfectly good friendship. We're back. Now, Chris Yates, have you heard of comic books before? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I, I read a few when I was a kid. I'm familiar with the concept. Yeah. yeah. Pictures, yeah. right? Now, those who read their comic books would know that one of the absolute masters of comic book writing in the last, we'll say, 20 years now, has been this dude named Greg Rucker. Greg Rucker has... A bad mother rucker, if you will. Hey. He is a bad mother rucker. Uh, primarily, it's written for DC with a bit of other work around the place. Uh, lately, he's been doing a lot of indie stuff after getting some massive fights with management at DC. 
He is a really interesting creator. He came along working on the Batman books. Uh, he'd been writing as like a crime author originally, like writing proper books without the pictures. Yeah, right. Uh, I've read some of them. Yeah. A novelist. Novelist. That's the word. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, so he'd been writing books. Uh, the editors at DC are like, hey, we'd like you to do a Batman book. Came along, turned out to be very good at that, and started writing a whole bunch of comics. Uh, one of the shows that is one of the like big series of this year is this Batwoman TV show. Starring Australia's own Ruby Rose. Oh, yeah, right. And that's all based off a run of Batwoman comics that he had created. So he looked at this character from the mid-50s, revamped her, made her a bit more textually interesting, introduced a whole bunch of queer themes into the series. Batwoman is from the mid-50s. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm not, shocked. Not to be confused with Batgirl. Not Different Batgirl. character. Ah. Different character. Right. Yeah. <laughs> not, not after she grew up, even. Now, Chris, totally different person. Now, Chris not is a, completely yeah. outnumbered by Batgeeks on the other side of this desk yeah. right now. So, so, as you'd know, the original character was Kathy Kane, and I believe she was brought in to be Batman's wife. Was that the... Yeah, I think that was yeah. the... Uh, it, again, that was part of the... Uh, the, the sort of the blind panic of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Batman being gay. You know, he's a dude who lives with his young friend and another guy in a house. An and older he, gentleman with uh, a moustache. The older gentleman with a moustache <laughs> who's got an accent. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so there's a bit of that panic. But now... Uh, it's Cassandra Kane or Kate Kane, depending okay, on so, versions. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, Cassandra Kane was a Batgirl variant. Yes. Okay, but this is uh, Kate Kane, okay, of whom... So it's the same character as one from the 50s, but she's now a lesbian, so she's probably not hooking up with Batman anytime soon. Former military history. Really cool yeah. character, actually. Mm. Yeah, if you can find the Greg Rucker Batwoman run, like there's some really amazing art by... J.H. Williams, I think, is the artist on it. Like, it's a really cool series of books. And they've carried her through into Detective Comics, basically same thread as um, Greg Rucker, and she's the best part of the current Detective Comics Batman run. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, he's got this Batwoman... Well, he's not really involved in the TV show, Mm. but Batwoman's now on TV, and it's based on this Greg Rucker book. But he's got another TV series based on one of his books, which is this indie comic book series he's been doing for the last, I'm going to say about like eight or nine years. And he lives in Portland, so he's really interested in bringing Portland to comic books. Mm. So he's created now four different miniseries based on this character named Dex. She's a PI, but where it's maybe a bit more interesting for people listening to a podcast like this is his inspiration for it wasn't just to do a PI story, because we've all seen those sorts of things. He had a very specific inspiration for it, which is a little TV show called The Rockford Files. Ah. And what was always cool about The Rockford Files, and as evidenced by the Ben Fold song where The Rockford Files were cool... Oh, <laughs> sorry, there's a... Going, going deep now. Your there's, there's a thing. <laughs> I just want to... <laughs> the cool thing about uh, Rockford was that he's a bit of a shitty detective. Like, he's just a slummy guy just living a very sort of poor, almost destitute yes. lifestyle. Yeah, sure. Like, he is a crappy detective who managed to solve the crime every week, but he's still driving around in a beat-up car, and that's what's happening in Stumptown. It's, uh, it's a female detective of whom is a former, like, uh, army vet. Uh, she's come back to the US. She's found that she can't really sort of get work doing much other than gambling a little bit, which is what she's doing at the beginning of the co- both the comic book series as well as the TV show. Uh, and she falls into becoming a private detective. So she drives a sort of fairly beat-up car, gets involved in mysteries where she's not very good, loses a lot of fights because while she's got the passion for it, she's just not very good. Uh, but at the end of every story, she you know solves the crime and you know moves on. Fantastic. Uh, so it's a concept which adapts very well to TV because it's just a blatant rip-off from the Rock and yeah, Files. Yeah, yes. yeah. So you just got to retrofit it. This is it. So now it stars Kobe, uh, Kobe Smulders from oh. TV's How I Met Your Mother and uh, Marvel films. As Dex? As Dex. 
Wow, I'm going to yeah. check this out. And it's perfect casting. So have you read any of Stumptown? No, I haven't read any of Stumptown. Okay, first of all, read Stumptown because it's yeah. really fun. And it just reads like a TV episode. So yes, you're probably paying like 30 bucks for a hardcover comic book, <laughs> okay, which is the same as like a 40-minute episode of generic TV. <laughs> but it's still totally worth your time. Um, yeah, but it's got a really cool cast on it. So you've got Colby Smolders as Dex. Uh, you've got as... Not, he's not really a love interest in the comic books, but because it's TV, I think it's going to yeah. end up that way. And also the comic books, there's four different miniseries, which is the equivalent of four episodes. So there's not a lot of material to mine on this one. Uh, but you've got Jake Johnson from The New Girl. Because it's a TV series, obviously he'll end up being the love interest because that's how these things work. Uh, but he's a bar owner of the local bar, which I think he's opening as the first episode of the show launches. Uh, but he's also the part-time carer for Dex's brother, who suffers from Down Syndrome. So it's a younger brother that she's responsible for, but she's barely responsible for herself, let alone caring for a second person. So this character obviously plays a fairly big role in the survival of both of their characters. Uh, you've also got a whole bunch of other interesting actors in there. So Michael Ely, who's a face that you will know by face, if not necessarily you know knowing who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got like this really great sort of sexual tension with her, but they sort of sleep together in the first episode. So I think they're playing around with the form of that a little bit. Uh, Instead also, of waiting till the last episode, exactly. Or not at all. It's not a will they, won't they? It's just a uh, no Sam and Diane. Yeah, moments. exactly. I hope it'll end in slapping. <laughs> uh, and also Cameron Manheim, who people would remember from the Praxis back in the day. Uh, she's playing a detective in this one. But what's interesting about this is that she Cameron Manheim looks like a detective. She does. Like I don't know why she hasn't been cops in more things because <laughs> you know she is that. Uh, but again, like much like Batwoman, uh, the character here Dex is bisexual. And I came across this headline on a random website that I just stumbled across when I was searching for it the other day, uh, searching about Stumptown the other day, and the headline is just, Kobe Smolders is a revelation as bisexual dirtbag P.I. Dex Parios. And that's a perfect description of what the show is. <laughs> She's just a dirtbag in every possible way. Great. But anyway, it's really fun. It's got so much vibrancy, and it's kind of exactly what you want from generic television. Yeah. And I don't think we celebrate episodic generic... De- episodic detective noir it something. It is pure classic. Yeah. It, it is like the Rockford Files, but in 2019. Yeah. Okay, it brings a modern aesthetic to it, but it isn't do we like... Need to, do we need to get you to cut that nice and clean so we can put it on a poster? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that's kind of interesting is that we celebrate so many shows that do really interesting things that play around with form and structure of TV now. But I think there is definitely a hunger to really watch a very good version of generic TV. Yeah. And that's totally what this is. It is an enjoyable 45-minute watch each week. Yeah. uh, You know, when you just said enjoyable generic TV, I was thinking of um, the Jack Ryan series on Amazon. Absolutely. Which is, it's it's like, it's pedigree ordinary watchable TV. Like, and if if it jumps up too much in quality, it might be like... (laughs) <laughs> inaccessible for some yeah, people yeah, but yeah. it's like in this perfect corridor where like I can watch it there are things I don't like there are definitely things that are supremely entertaining it spends the right amount of money to be produced has the nice pedigree of actor and you're just like I, this is a very easy watch see I don't think Jack Ryan is generic TV I think it's slightly more elevated than generic TV oh no it's generic uh, I've, no, <laughs> I, I've been watching a lot of the new US TV pilots this last week I've seen generic TV and I think Jack Ryan is definitely a step above oh, that cool, cool. but what I think it is it's really a serialised version of a 1990s generic movie yes yes yeah so it feels just like a Jack Ryan film from the 90s 100%. just over I think like 8 hours 8 episode yeah really yeah. really tight I love an eight episodes here. Yeah. Where the heck I had so much I f- fun with a Jack Ryan. Where, this where is good. Jim from The Office, right? Jim from The Office. Yeah, indeed. love Jim. 
Who doesn't? Oh, love him. You'd have to be a monster. And you'd have to be a monster not to like Jim. <laughs> and Bunk from The Wire. Um, who's, oh, how can get you not, out. How can you not love some Bunk? Um, she, she. Oh, no, that's not even Bunk. <laughs> that's not Bunk. No. Anyway. Um, but... <laughs> But where the hell can we find the show? Uh, Stumptown is not in Australia yet. Uh, you can find it in the US on the ABC network or Hulu. Let's go there. Um, do you know why uh, Portland, Oregon is called Stumptown? No. It is because in the mid-19th century, the city's growth led residents to clear a lot of land quickly, but the tree stumps were not immediately removed in some areas. There were so many that people used to jump from stump to stump to avoid <laughs> the muddy, unpaved roads. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Stumptown. Yeah, and just even hearing that really fits the vibe of what the show is. <laughs> it sounds excellent. Yeah, I really want to watch it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Uh, I, hope they, I hope it comes to Netflix. Well, I hope it comes somewhere sometime soon because yeah. I've had a bunch of people ask me, how, yeah, do I yeah. watch this? how do I watch this thing? And yeah, it's very frustrating <laughs> yeah. with these new shows. Sorry? Hey, what? Huh? <laughs> I've got an allergy. Yeah. Okay, so that's three shows we discussed this week. Chris, yes. Do you want to cite what they were? Uh, we discussed Chef. The Chef. Chef, the chef Show. The Chef, chef show. show. Chef Time. <laughs> chef, chef Show with John, the dude with Iron Man's mate. Um, and, that's a, and that's watchable on our Netflix. Um, Correct. Right now, there's two seasons. And then we talked about uh, Wu-Tang and American Saga, which I give four stars. No, we're not doing that. I'm just kidding. Um, and that is available on the in the US on Hulu. And we watched and we talked about... I'm really doing a great job of this wrap-up. Uh, we talked about Stumptown, um, which has got something to do with Batman. I, I, I tuned out for a little bit there, but it sounds really good. Um, <laughs> Batman is not in Stumptown. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Anyway, that was a wonderful, succinct wrap Thanks, thanks, thanks. Yes. If you've been enjoying this podcast, it comes out every week. Yes. We talk about the shows we've been watching. Uh, you can find us through your various podcast platforms, uh, your Outca- Overcasts, your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify. We're on a Spotify. We're very easy to find. I know. But if you're listening to this, you've probably already found us. So yeah. that's ridiculous. Tell your friends that only listen to Spotify that you can listen to yeah. them on Spotify. Alwaysbewatching.com. You can find the daily newsletter we pump out, but also the podcast when that goes out. Uh, Chris Yates, you're not on social media, but Blake or at Blake is Batman is, uh, first of all, how do people find you on social media and also give a big plug to the 35 projects you've got running at any given time? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, at Blake is Batman is probably the best place, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, uh, Facebook, One Heat Minute Productions is probably the best place you can find. Uh, One Heat Minute Productions is now the banner that is on iTunes, Overcast, Spotify. You can go back to all 177 episodes of the One Heat Minute series. I- explain that because we didn't do that at the beginning. Oh, sorry. Uh, One Heat Minute is taking Michael Mann's 1995 uh, crime epic heat um, and analysing it chronologically one minute at a time with a crew of unbelievable guests uh, that begin with some of my dearest friends and uh, so some he, of the best he started minds. with the dirt bags that he knows in the real dirt life, bags in real life <laughs> and then ends with some pretty amazing guests and then I end with Michael Mann in the final episode. Get out! Uh, so that that is that, and uh, currently working on the last 12 minutes of The Mohicans, which is a special limited series um, to coincide with the Australian release of The Last what, Mohicans. What did you say? The last 12 minutes? The last 12 minutes of The Mohicans, <laughs> um, which is a limited series. Um, our five episodes are out uh, um, as we're recording this, um, but it's, it's uh, going to be completely released uh, uh, the whole show by the end of um, middle of October, sorry. Um, that also includes cinematographer Dante Spinotti, Matt Zolazites is the editor of RogerEbert.com, senior film critic for the New York Times, Manola Dargis, Bilga Ibiri, Mark Olson from The Real Podcast, Carly Severn, Jen Johans, Travis Woods, Craig Matheson, and culminates with Michael Mann in the final episode. 
Unbelievable. Um, so, that, so that's the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans. If you guys are going to listen, that's great. Um, my next pro- project uh, is Josie and the Podcats, hosted by Maria Lewis, my best friend. And it is... Former a, Always Be Watching guest. Former, yes. former Always Be Watching guest. Uh, she is the host of this series. It is her love child. It is six episodes um, that is going to be released uh, coming up in November. We're going to um, kick that show off. And that is... Um, uh, uh, basically, it's the story of Josie and the Pussycats, all the way from production to inception in the comics, the f- oh, um, through to the production of the 2001 amazing, underappreciated satire. Um, to to now, it has guests like um, uh, the vice president of Archie Comics. It has people um, uh, who just adore and love the show, like musicians like Charlie Bliss. But it also has Biff Naked, Kay Hanley, and Rachel Lee Cook and Deb and Harry, the directors of the film as well. Oh so that is God. an amazing miniseries coming out. And um, Travis Woods, who is an incredible writer for Cinephilia and Beyond and I, are producing a new series coming out very shortly called Increment Vice, which is a deep dive analysis on Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice from 2014, um, but it is a 45-episode series so far. Um, <laughs> um, so that one uh, is is coming out in November as well, but I'm producing that one with Travis. And so there are many projects there, and also because we're on a weekly podcast. Uh, I also am on uh, The Take on flicks.com.au, which is my weekly show where we just tackle the biggest takes and topics of the week on your stream and screen. Um, so you can hear me there, and I can guarantee you're going to hear Dan shortly on there too. No, he's um, weaseled uh, his he's, way on. Not only, would he, not, yes. only is a we, not only has he weaseled his way on, but also he's on the roster. It's just we're waiting. There was Joker episodes coming up, things like that. There's plenty of things to talk about as we go on. But they are the many projects that are happening right now. Some of them I'm producing, some of them I'm hosting, some of them. Around. Can I ask an important question about Josie and the Pussycats? Yes. And you've probably gotten a lot of questions about the project so far, mm. but this is the one that will really resonate with you the most. How much coverage do you give to the animated series Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space? Very little. What? It's <laughs> an outrage. An outrage, so, I say. So it is focused on the 2001 film and the fact that it's a cult classic. I spent it- years telling people how good that film was, getting blank stares, people laughing in my face, people going, no, 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 I've seen that. It's terrible. I, 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 I saw it a long time ago in amongst... I, I was a peak, you know, Hollywood Miramax nerd and saw every single film that came out in that sort of independent slew of films, all the Rachel Lee Cook movies, all that sort of stuff. Um, and sort of I underappreciated it. Maria, who's my, one of my dearest friends, is psychopathically obsessed. Yeah. You know, I think we really, spoke, I think in the, I think it, it was one of the things we is, spoke to her really, about. It's really, really infectious. And so, um, as is my want to do, um, I when I find someone who is so deeply, infectiously passionate about something that they want to podcast about or they want to talk about, I'm like, you should make this a podcast. So I don't know. Like, there's no one else in the world that's that's pestering. I don't know that like who is pestering their friends in yeah, a way yeah, that's, yeah. that I think is engaging enough to produce. And um, it's been a real treat to work with her again because we've worked in a few projects over time. But it's been a real treat, and I I literally that one is I think going to blow people's minds. I can't wait to share it. And mm-hmm. Increment Vice is great, and I, I've you know, I'm biased because I'm a Michael Mann geek, so uh, the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans is going to knock people's socks off, especially the next coming episode with Dante Spinotti, the cinematographer, who we recorded his episode live from his Italian Alps home. Um, I was Skyping in, and he just he's the kind of old guy who just drops bombshells and just doesn't give a bleep um, about what he's saying, and uh, he's just great. So, I yeah, it's 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 really fun. I'm having a good time. Okay, so if you want to track down any of those many projects, <laughs> uh, you can find them in the show notes. I haven't we'll got have enough some... time in my life to listen to all that stuff. <laughs> Little, I don't know how you've managed to make it. Jesus. Well, 
Anyway, let's wrap this up. Yes, yes. So that I can head off and make my own rival podcast, which be focused on all, I think, 12 episodes of Joseph and the Pussycats in Outer Space. <laughs> can I be a guest on that one, Dan? Oh, dude, come on. You don't even have to ask. <laughs> Josie and the Podcats in Space is the title. <laughs> Done. Anyway, this has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week with more TV discussion. Um, until then, uh, I don't have a way to end the podcast. <laughs> Bye. See ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Professionals at the end.